Thanks, Bogsy. Great job, by the way, of memorizing the worship liturgy, even though it wasn't on the screens. Good job. Gold star. I'll say, bless the Lord. If you'll say, oh, my soul, bless the Lord. Bless his holy name. Kairos, I'm happy to be here tonight. Uh, Two things that I really, really love we get to do tonight. One is Eucharist. You're like, stop speaking in tongues. What did you say? Uh, Eucharist is just a Greek word. It's a fancy word that means grace or thanksgiving. It's another word for Lord's Supper or communion or coming to the table together. And I love when our extended family gets to come and rush the table and take our time and see one another and sing over one another as we remember the life, the death, and the resurrection and the return of Jesus Christ. Just so you're clear, every single chair uh, in this place has been prayed over more than once, every single doorway and every single station, that you would have an encounter with the God of the universe tonight. Holy, profound, consequential, and meaningful. So I'm anticipating that and expecting that. I hope you will as well. Second is, we're going to talk about heaven. Yes! Now, uh, we're wrapping up a series called The Big Story. And one of the reasons we went through that is because sometimes we have a problem of understanding our story in light of a bigger story, okay? When we make our lives, our circumstances, and just our neck of the woods and our uh, little brief history in the moment of time, the be-all, end-all of the universe, we cannot bear the weight. Things are too insignificant. Problems are too overwhelming. And there doesn't feel like there's a hope or a future. But when we get to plug it into the overarching story that God has been writing through human history, we find that we get to play an eternally significant role right where we're at and we get to start now. And then we're also trying to figure out a way, hey, how do we have gospel conversations with our friends who are just kind of questioning or curious or skeptical about the Christian faith? How do you articulate the message of the Bible in a succinct and easy to understand way? And so we've been using the three circles, and I'll draw that in just a second. And tonight we get to the end of the story, which is heaven, which, by the way, um, if you're like my wife, She wants to know the end of the story. She doesn't want suspense. She doesn't want mystery. She's watched One Tree Hill 15 times in a row, which to me is actually evidence that hell exists. But she loves it. Like she, 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 like she could just go to the public library and see every movie she's ever seen for the rest of her life, and it would be perfectly happy and complete. Nothing new. I just want to know how it ends so that I'm totally in control, and it better be a happy ending. Okay? It's probably one of the reasons she's drawn to Christianity, because you get to figure out how it ends. Unfortunately, there's a lot of mystery and drama in the meantime, which I love, which is why we're probably married together. So uh, Revelation chapter 21 is where we're headed. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. And before we read this section of Scripture, I want to emphasize or highlight a problem that some of us have when we hear heaven. Some of you are like, yeah, can't wait. It's going to be awesome. Some of you are like, eh, I know I'm supposed to like it, but... Let's be honest, it sounds kind of boring. There's one author who once said this, shockingly, who grew up in church. The idea of heaven scared me more than the idea of hell because it was a perpetual Sunday service from which there was no end in sight. (laughs) Right? We we got some ideas of somehow uh, my soul turns into a chubby little cherub 
with wings on the back that goes up and starts playing the harp. Does anybody play the harp in here? Exactly, right? And it's kind of this ethereal, static state where suddenly all, uh, we, we love just singing and worshiping all the time. Not that I'm against that, but is that all there is and suddenly I love that? So Revelation chapter 21 is about to give us a robust picture of a true reality that is coming. And it's better than you possibly could have hoped, thought, dreamed, or imagined. So turn with me to Revelation chapter 21, and I'm going to pray for us before we read God's word. Holy Spirit, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear? Jesus, would you go before us in this text and make a way? And together we say, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. Revelation 21, starting in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. I'll say the word of the Lord if you'll say thanks be to God. The word of the Lord. What a great passage. Okay, so here's, here's where we're at in the big picture. We walk through beauty. Does anybody remember what comes next? Yes, you're such good students. What's next? Nice. Thank you, repeat offenders. I love it that you come here more than once a month. And then the last one is? Good. Alliteration, although cheesy, works. Um, so beauty, brokenness, baptism, blessing. And then the way that we're representing that with the three circles, which is not original to me, is God created you for beauty in the garden. He put Adam and Eve in a place called Eden, which means literally delight, where they get to in the uh, Genesis chapter uh, 2 and 3, where we first started this out, God made man and women in his own image, and he blessed them. And he said, be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. You have intimacy, power, purpose, and you were created for blessing. I have everything you need to find fulfillment and satisfaction for who you are. It even said in the scripture, they were naked and unashamed. And that has very little to do with nudity and everything. I know, giggle, giggle. And everything to do with the fact that you can be seen, known, and loved and not be ashamed of who you are. It is the desire of every human heart to be fully seen, fully known, and fully loved. And God created us for that in his image. But Adam and Eve, they decide to go their own way, right? They go, no thanks, but thanks for the offer. And they ran, and that's called sin. When we decide to miss the mark of what God set up for us, God had glorious goals in mind for creation and for us. And we said, no thanks, you're withholding something from us, we'll take it into our own hands. And so that's when brokenness 
enters the world. We did that last week. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And in a broken world, we realize that our bodies are broken, our minds are broken, and our souls are broken. And we all have a different response to this. Some of us say, well, since my body's broken, let's just make sure we have as many medical advances as possible, and then one day we'll come up with immortality so we don't have to actually face the fact that this place is dying and we're decaying. Let's just get more pills and more surgeries and more nanorobots to fix everything that's wrong with us. Some of us go, oh, since my mind's broken, I just need more information and education and innovation. And us, up to ourselves, we can figure this whole thing out. We can satisfy the desires of our hearts and our minds and our bodies, but it's not working. And then some of us realize, because that's not working and that's not working, you know what? I just want to be comfortable in my misery. And so we decide to binge. We binge eat, we binge watch, we binge consume, we binge relationships, we binge pornography, anything to medicate the pain of our brokenness because we don't want to take responsibility to partner with God to fix it and redeem it. And we couldn't do anything about that. And the prerequisite to entering the kingdom of God is to become like a little child and say, I can't save myself. No matter how smart or how hard I work, no matter how much I try, I am broken. And I acknowledge that, and I'm fully responsible. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy on me. And that is what we call repentance. When we get on our knees, and we pray, and we repent, and we believe that Jesus Christ came into this world to be a sin offering for us, And God condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Jesus Christ came, took upon our brokenness. He was the Adam who never sinned so that he could provide a way back to God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.24 is, and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that Jesus Christ brought. So when we get on our knees and pray, we accept this, and we realize that Jesus has conquered sin and death and the grave, and he is the King of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. So now we've gone from beauty to brokenness, baptized in his blood, his forgiveness, and his mercy, and now finally we're on our way back to blessing. So we can be redeemed and restored and live the life God has intended us to live. Amen? Except I don't think that's right. I love this illustration, and I'll do respect to it. But according to Revelation 21, we're not going back to the garden. We're going above and beyond the garden to new heaven and new earth. It has totally radicalized and revolutionized my view of what happens when Jesus Christ returns. We're not going back to Eden. We're not trying to figure things out. We're getting redeemed, resurrected in bodies and minds that were fully designed to function the way he's always dreamed it to be, creation and us. So let's look at this text. I don't even have time to talk about the fact that he says there's going to be no sea. What does that mean? There's no water sports in heavens? Absolutely false because water is a gift from God and it better be in heaven. 
That is a way that the ancients would have said there will be no more chaos or fear of the unknown. Your anxieties will finally be calmed. Jesus Christ will walk in quiet on every storm. Hey, every broken body is going to be redeemed because it is a physical resurrection, not just a spiritual resurrection. Chris, how can you say that? It's Romans 8. All of creation was subject to frustration, not by its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hopes that it would be liberated from its bondage and decay and brought in to the glorious freedom with God's children. All of creation is groaning, eagerly awaiting its redemption. Not only so, but we ourselves groan inwardly as we eagerly await our adoption to sonship and daughtership which is the redemption of our bodies. For those of you who feel broken, for those of you who feel defected, for those of you who felt like I was never right to begin with, the next verse in Romans chapter eight says, in this hope we are saved. And I need you to hear the hope of the gospel tonight. There is hope. I believe heaven can invade earth in a second and I will pray for hope and healing, but I also have to trust and obey and believe that one day God will finally and fully restore everything. And every time I experience sadness, every time I experience brokenness, every time I hear about a friend's miscarriage, every time I hear about someone burying someone they love, every time I hear about how much medication costs for diabetes, No matter how many times I hear about a child who's going to have special needs and the parents have no idea how they're going to provide for it, in this hope we are saved that one day God will make all things new and that his grace will satisfy us in our deepest needs and weakness and he will provide for us, but it does not deliver us from the pain and suffering reality of a broken world. Jesus Christ himself said, you will have trials and tribulations in this world, but take heart. I've overcome it all and I'm coming back and I'm gonna make all things new. And the first thing I'm gonna do for you is I'm gonna get down and I'm gonna wipe every tear that you have ever cried because it's in a bottle where I keep them. Every moment you felt alone and scared, I was there with you. And there will be no more death or dying or mourning. The old things have passed away. And behold, I am making all things new. Do you have something in your life you need to be able to make new tonight? Is there a brokenness? that you're just tired of, that you see in yourself or that you see in your family or that you see your friends continually repeating the cycles of brokenness and you cry out, Lord, would you make all things new? I'm groaning inwardly, eagerly awaiting my adoption to sonship and daughtership, the redemption of my body. It is a physical resurrection. A lot of times our problem is we see God as kind of this thwarted inventor who came up with creation and went, oops, that went wrong. Okay, at the end, I'm going to burn it all and start all over again. And here we go. That's going to be heaven. 
No, because Peter asked Jesus, hey, Jesus, when are all these things to take place when he's talking about him coming again? And in Matthew chapter 19, verse 8, he says, at the renewal of all things. Pale genesia. Ain't that right, Purdom? That's the Greek word. Not, not, hey, I'm getting rid of everything and starting over. No, I am regenesing my creation. I am redeeming it, I am resurrecting it, and I am making all things new and right. Hey, what you think about tomorrow determines how you live today. What you believe about tomorrow determines how you live today. Beth, you want the fancy theological terms? Your eschatology determines your morality. What you believe about what happens to you, if there is divine justice... If there is a God who sees and who cares, determines how you live today. And what we hold in tension, again, is that the mercy and justice of God collide at the cross. And now we are his ambassadors. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation, promoting his justice and his mercy. Have you ever had that old little guilt trip given to you by preachers? It was probably me, by the way. Hey, if you're the only Bible someone read, would they know Jesus? You're like, oh, yeah, that's pretty good. Maybe I need to make sure. Like if people were just watching my life, would they get to Jesus? Here's my other question for you. If your life was the only heaven they got to see here on earth, would they want to go there? We're supposed to be the outpost. God, your will be done on earth as it is in I don't know about you, but God thought heaven was so good, he didn't wait to give it to you. In fact, scripture says the Holy Spirit's been given to you as a deposit of things to come. The Holy Spirit's just a down payment. I can't wait to see the house. This is unbelievable. That's the foretaste of glory divine. And I don't know about you, I had to say it out loud the other day in my Jeep when I'm just trying to wrestle and through, what do I really want in life and career and ministry and family? Uh, what I really want is safety and security. Sorry, Lord, <laughs> I need to confess that. What do you really want? I want my life to matter for eternity. And I wanna be as ready for heaven as I possibly can be. And I want as much joy as you can humanly give me right here, right now. And that's not a way to sidestep pain and suffering. That's a way straight through it. In this hope, we are saved. Dallas Willard says it this way. Heaven is where God unleashes all of his glory. And we will be able to receive it without it killing us. Moses asked to see it. God said, oh, you don't know what you're asking for. <laughs> It'll smoke you like a cigarette, son. It's the message translation. <laughs> so what does he do? Hides him in the cleft, right? Puts his hand over and says, I'll pass by you and then I'll remove it. And just from seeing the backside of God's glory, he gets a holy sunburn and he's radiating and it freaks the people out. And they're like, put a veil on Moses. That's weird. <laughs> are you radiating heaven in such a way that people are going, that's weird. How do you live that way? Because this is my reality, not this. Heaven is more real than the chair you're sitting on. Because when Jesus was resurrected in his redeemed body, he walked right through a wall. Why? Because he's got some hocus pocus trick? No, he's more real than the wall. What do you think you're going to be able to do in heaven? I can't wait to see. 
I saw coming out of heaven, a new Jerusalem coming down as a bride, beautifully prepared for her husband. We're not going to heaven, by the way. Heaven's coming to earth. The question is, are we ready for it? And if we're ready for it, are we excited about it? If we're excited about it, are we participating in it here and now in such a way that you can go, hmm, I want some more of that. Dallas Willard also used to tell his granddaughter anytime she would leave his house, hey, kid, give him heaven. (laughs) Of course, I like that because of what it's a play on. But by the way, you, you don't have a neutral decision with your life. Everything you do either gives people hell or it gives them heaven. What do you want? And what do you want to offer people? I don't know about you, but I want as much heaven as I can get. And I want to be as ready as possible for life unending, intimacy unspeakable, and purpose unimaginable in the presence of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So let me pray for us and then Jacoby's going to come up and she's going to lead us through our liturgy, which is just a way for us to prepare our hearts, confess our sins and remind ourselves of the glory and goodness of God that makes heaven possible for us. So Jesus, oh, we're so excited for what you have in store for us. Thank you for going to prepare a place for us. And so... (laughs) In response, we just want to prepare a place for you in this moment. We want to meet you at the table. We want to remind ourselves that we can taste and see that you are good. We want something holy and mystical and life-changing, but we also want something practical and obedient and perfectly normal. In the midst of a wafer, in the midst of a cup, would you meet us? and prepare a place for us. In Jesus' name, amen.